Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Well, very good morning and a very happy Father's Day to you all. Uh, I um, want to thank our comms team, Joel and Becca and Bailey and others who serve there. They serve us so well, don't they? So many people in this church serve us so well and creating that lovely video. And uh, also when I saw um, uh, Mike and the people on parking this morning, a little bit brisk, but uh, he was wearing his Fremantle hat loud and proud. Uh, so for all those, it's a happy Father's Day for them, I'm sure. And in fact, I wasn't watching the footy. I was getting ready for speaking to you now. But I got a, a text from our senior pastor, Nick, and his beautiful little granddaughter was sitting in her high chair saying, Go Dockers! <laughs> so not only has she been delivered from supporting Adelaide, but she has also... As a matter of fact, as best I could work out the timing with my wife, the recovery began just about the time she said that, actually. So, uh, God bless her. A happy Father's Day to you all, and that beautiful video captures some of the amazing blessing God has given us in loving fathers, and we want to honour those who are loving fathers and grandfathers by birth, and those who are by choice. But as Gary led us in prayer, so many reasons Father's Day can be sad and painful and we want to remember all of you as well and uh, thank you for being brave enough to be with us either here or online and we trust the spirit today will reveal the father's heart to you as you've just heard amazingly sung about the father's heart which is as you saw in the clip the father from whom every family on heaven and earth derives its name he is the first father he was a father before creation, before anything was created. So appropriately today, we launched this new series called My Father. We pray our Father who is in heaven, but in this series, we want to look at several times in John's Gospel where Jesus talked about my Father. We'll encounter the Father through the words of the Son who lived in perfect unity with him and is the way to him. See, whenever Jesus said, my father, it was a very challenging statement because it gave his listeners two options. This man is a blasphemer and needs to be dealt with. Or this man is the Messiah. In today's reading, we're going to, just, we're going to be looking at an event that's in all four Gospels. So it's a major event. In John's Gospel, it's when Jesus made a whip out of cords and drove them all out of the temple. <laughs> I wonder if you're feeling a sense of whiplash right now. Beautiful, happy Father's Day, Jesus driving them out of the temple with a whip that he made himself. Hello? <laughs> what has that got to do with that? Or what on earth has it got to do with the Father's heart? Well, context is everything. Uh, I told the Governor's Prayer Breakfast that Will Ferrell said, a baby's laughter is one of the most beautiful sounds you'll ever hear. Unless it's 3 a.m., you're home alone, and you don't have a baby. So I want to make sure that you have a context for this. And so let me tell you a short, fictitious story and see if it helps get into the reading. In this fictitious story, uh, there is a wonderful, loving father, marvelous man. He faithfully followed Jesus, and he owned a holiday home in a beautiful, unspoiled beach spot. 
In that spot, he, he experienced restoration, uh, healing, quiet time with the Lord. And in his will, he wanted to leave it to everyone, especially those who could never experience this any other way. He had a heart for those who were disadvantaged, the poor, the marginalised. And so he did that, and he chose people he believed he could trust and appointed them to see this happen. Now, unfortunately, over the years, those he trusted misappropriated money, gave bribes, had zonings changed, and were making obscene profits by turning it into this. High-rise dominates. The noise of commerce by day and clubs and bars by night drowns out the sound of ocean and birds. If the people can get to the beach, they're harassed by vendors selling them sunscreen and sun visors and deck chairs and tranquility merchandise. The gift of healing, the place to be with God, has gone. Here's the thing. If that were your father and you, you saw that done to his gift... How would you feel? And if you could do something, what would you do? Well, with that in mind, let's look at our reading. It's from John chapter 2. It begins at verse 12. Then we'll go through to 17. If you have your Bible with you electronically or actually, you might want to follow along. John 2, 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum and his mother and brothers and his disciples with him. There he stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle and sheep and doves. Others were sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove from the temple both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. So Jesus comes into the, the, the temple and he finds people selling cattle, sheep and doves and changing money. Those things themselves are not wrong. They were actually services. The pilgrims travelled for days to get to Jerusalem for the big festivals, especially Passover, and so it only made sense to get your animals for sacrifice when you arrived. And the temple tax had to be paid in Tyrian tetradrachma. Not easy to say that, is it? Uh, it's a good sobriety test. Tyrian tetradrachma. That's what you had to pay the temple tax with, so they had to change the money. It was simply helping pilgrims to worship. But Jesus reacts because, or he acts really, because he says they're turning my father's house into a market. How were they doing that? Well, by what they were doing and where they were doing it. Let's have a look at what they were doing. Now, in the other, thanks, Esther, yes, in the other three Gospels, uh, there are quotes from Isaiah and Jeremiah that Jesus uses. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. And incidentally, in none of the Gospel accounts does anyone disagree. Nobody pops up and says, no, they're not, Jesus. They absolutely are. The money changers were charging two sets of fees on the money being exchanged. A bit like a, a dodgy uh, uh, currency exchange when you travel today. And incidentally, that was breaking, directly breaking scripture. Scripture said in Deuteronomy 23, do not charge a fellow Israelite interest, whether on money or food or anything else. Those selling sheep and cattle were price gouging 
And those selling doves were as well. And that was especially bad because the doves were for the poor. If you weren't wealthy enough to afford a sheep or a cow, you offered doves. So, and, and if the price was high enough, the poor were effectively locked out from worshipping God. See, it's not God that's being worshipped, it's mammon. And that carried on into the church. In Acts 8, we hear about a guy called Simon the Great Wizard, and he saw the apostles lay hands on people and they received the Holy Spirit. And he thought, how good is this? Let me buy that. What, what's the price? Name your price. And Peter says to him, ask the master to forgive you for trying to use God to make money. In Luther's day, they sold indulgences so you could get your loved ones out of purgatory and into heaven. And if you think about that phrase, trying to use God to make money, then we have several examples today. Now, Jesus is also dealing with where they're doing this. Where are they doing it? Well, in Mark, Mark's gospel often drops these helpful little extra phrases in that I enjoy, even though it's a short gospel. And uh, in Mark's version of this, Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. See, God's heart is always for all. We love this word inclusive now. No one is more inclusive than God. He includes you. He includes all that his house was to be for all, especially Gentiles. They travelled many days to get there. They no doubt withstood the scorn of the Jews when they were there and they came because they wanted to worship God. And this was happening in the court of the Gentiles. It was the outermost court and the only place available to these Gentiles. The only place they could worship. So they arrive after days of travel and find that they're herded in with sheep and cattle and doves and mercenaries and hucksters. The noise would be kind of like a livestock auction plus the Royal Show livestock section plus the trading floor of a stock exchange on steroids. They would have been buffeted and bumped by herds of animals and they, had a, they really would have had to watch where they walked or they would have stepped in something very nasty. Now, the important thing here, see that, so these people who've traveled for miles to come to the Father are being herded in with all of this. Now, it's important to know that Jesus' action is not an outburst. The Father's heart was breaking. It breaks if you're not home. It broke when these people were being locked out. And Jesus' heart broke too. But this was not a temper tantrum, or I should say, this was not a temple tantrum. Boom, boom. <laughs> Come on, you've got to do at least one dad joke on a day like today, surely. This was no temple tantrum. This was no sudden outburst. It was beautifully controlled and appropriate. How do I know? Well, he made the whip. Didn't burst into a temper outburst. He actually went and made the whip out of cords and incidentally he drove from the temple courts the animals don't use the whip on people because if you drive out the animals the owners are going to follow them they're not going to and they'll get their animals back he threw the money changers money onto the floor and tipped the tables over you can guarantee those guys collected it all up again so they still got their money and they've still got their animals and when he comes to the doves he's not breaking cages he just says get these out of here stop turning my father's house into a market they've still got their doves 
But what they're not doing is taking up the one place Gentiles could be at peace and worship the God who loved them. So if it's not a temper tantrum, what is it? Well, then the disciples remembered a verse. It's a verse from the Psalms. The verse, excuse me, the verse says, zeal for your house will consume me. This is zeal. Zeal that consumes. It's the passion of fervent love. That little word comes up through the Old Testament. And there's a phrase, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Sounds very formal, doesn't it? The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You find it in 2 Kings. You find it twice in Isaiah. The first one I'm sure you wouldn't know, but the second one I'm certain almost everyone in the room will. Because we use the verse every Christmas. Let's have a look. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. See, God's zeal is found throughout Scripture wherever his heart is reaching out to his people, to all people, wanting to bring them to healing and wholeness and hope. Some time back, the Lord put a phrase on Nick's heart, our senior pastor's heart. The father wants his children back, and he does. The father wants his children back with a passion we cannot begin to imagine. In fact, Peter tells us what his heartbeat is. This is talking about the father's heart. In Peter, we find his heartbeat. He's not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. God's heartbeat, none to perish. All of my children home, none to be lost. All my children home. He wants you back. He wants you back with a passion Jesus described by talking about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and loses one. Everyone else in your family might be going along just fine, but his eyes on you. Because in heaven, there's going to be this giant banquet and there's a place and your name's on it. And your father wants you sitting there. And he doesn't care if everybody else in this room is sitting there. His heart is passionately reaching out to you. And so if he has a hundred sheep and one wanders away, we learned that old hymn, there were 90 and nine that safely lay in the shelter of the fold. Unless you're nearly a century like me, you probably don't know it, but it was also rubbish. He doesn't leave them in the fold. He leaves them on the hills. His passion for the lost one is such that he leaves his flock for that one and has more joy when he finds it than the 99 that he didn't need to look for. Do you know there's another occasion when this zeal consumes Jesus? He acts the same way for the same reason. In Mark 10, we read that uh, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to put his hands on them and bless them. Now, that's a, a custom that goes all the way back to um, the time when, uh, when Jacob, when Israel, put his hands on Manasseh and Ephraim and blessed them. So they're bringing them to Jesus, but they run into an obstacle, the disciples. The Bible tells us the disciples rebuked them. That word in the Greek is really rude. It's really harsh. It's like, what are you? Get these kids out of here. 
probably with Peter like vehemence. I hope I'm not slandering the poor bloke. It doesn't say which disciple was doing it. The disciples generally were saying, get these kids away. Their reaction was strong. Jesus' reaction was even stronger. He, the, the, now the, new, the uh, NIV translates it this way. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He was indignant. That's kind of blah. It's a bit beige, <laughs> a bit wussy. Now, they're theological terms, and they mean lame. It doesn't cut it. Indignant. Is, it was, the, the word, the actual Greek word that describes what was happening for Jesus is the word aganakteo. And it actually means, it came from two words, much and grief. Jesus felt deep grief. He said, these people trying to bring these beautiful little children to me, and you're blocking them? I'm sure his eyes flashed, and I'm sure the disciples remembered it vividly. How do I know he responded for the same reason? Well, because of what he said. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. What was going on in the temple was hindering people coming to the Father. The disciples were hindering little children coming to his son, the Lord Jesus. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. And I love this. Jesus doesn't touch them like the parents asked and expected. He takes each child in his arms, everyone individually, and blesses them. He's passionate to have you home. Passionate. This is what G.K. Chesterton called the furious love of God. He saw a fire once when he was still on, his, on a journey from atheism to faith. And he said, I didn't know if it was the fire of hell or the furious love of God. I was in Rockhampton many, many years ago and uh, on a trip, and I, some of you who've been here a while might remember I mentioned this story at least once before, but it's been put on my heart because I, I was there, I, it was a speaking trip that went right up the East Coast, and uh, think meeting was ending, pastors were praying with people, and there was a couple who'd come down to the front for prayer, and I felt prompted that I should perhaps go and pray for them generally leaving the rest to the pastors. So I went to them and said, look, uh, do you mind if I pray with you? No, we'd love that. So, well, thank you. Um, and uh, you're married, and they both nodded. I was just about to say, dear Lord, and I thought, oh, hang on, you're married to each other? Because I didn't know them at all. Yes, we're married to each other. And I prayed a lot about their marriage and stuff that seemed to be given to me to pray, and their emotional reaction was, I won't describe it now because there's no time, but it was intense. There was clearly a moment for them of the Father touching them. Then afterwards they came to me and they said, you know what, we came to the point tonight where we decided our marriage was hopeless and over. And if any of the pastors had prayed for us about God bringing our lives together and him wanting to, to, to help us and him wanting to build our relationship, we would have just thought, oh, yeah, that's the pastor. But they said, you came from Perth. You don't know us at all. Now, their outcome was really good in the end, but the point of the story is this. I, I was able to say to them, if this whole trip, all the expense, all the other places we've been was simply to get me from Perth to Rockhampton to pray for you so you know how much the Father loves you and wants to be in your life together, as far as God's concerned, that's a good deal. He'll invest that sort of resource in a heartbeat just to have you home. He gave his son, and Jesus came and willingly gave himself. 
Do you know, in that beautiful story, there's words I find really challenging. Jesus says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Man, how easy is it to hinder children by the way we live? Hinder them by our actions not lining up with our words. Hinder them by the way we discuss other people when they hear us. And worse, hinder them in much worse ways. Now as a father, or then as the boys were growing as a father, now as a granddad, and as a pastor of your precious children and, and you, I, I've got a constant prayer, Lord, please do not let me hinder them. Please don't let me hinder them. And Lord, please forgive me when I do, because <laughs> I surely will. Forgive me when I do. Maybe someone has hindered you. Maybe, uh, maybe you've, you're at a situation where I was once. I once said to Jesus, Lord, I, I still want to have a relationship to you, but I'm done with this thing they call the church. I'm, I'm toast. Maybe you've got the sharp edge of someone's greed, the brokenness of someone's failure to be there for you. Maybe you've got the sharp edge of their tongue. It's Father's Day, and maybe for you, it was Dad. Maybe in your case, your dad's world's best dad mug was broken. In fact, that's a pretty good image of my life when I finally did surrender to the father who had been seeking me. All I had to offer him, the old song says, was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful of my life. You know, but that prayer I offer, Father, forgive me. If we say it the way Jesus taught us to pray it, we say, forgive me my sin as I forgive others for what they've done to me. Forgive me as I forgive. It's the only part of the Lord's Prayer in his Sermon on the Mount that he said more about. He went on to say, if you forgive other people, then your heavenly Father will forgive you. Why this insistence on forgiveness? Why, 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 why is God so insistent? Well, because he wants you free. Lewis B. Smead said this, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner is you. He wants you free. He wants you to be able to hear that name without your, your gut nodding. He wants you to be able to remember that incident and have grace and peace and freedom. And hear him say to you, I've got this. I've got this. I've got this. He wants you free. Now, I felt prompted because I know what a challenging topic this is to say just some things very quickly. I believe the Lord wants me to say to you, forgiveness is a decision. It's not an emotion. Never feels good. It'll, your body will rage against it. I don't want to do this. It's not fair. And you're right, it's not. It's not fair. And forgiveness is not, not, not exoneration. God is not saying, well, look, let's just pretend it never happened. Look, it doesn't really matter. Does that sound like the God who cleansed the temple? The God who said to the disciples, let these children come to me? Of course not. 
Here's the thing. It did happen and it does matter. But what God is saying is, in fact, before I, God, God is asking you to give it to him. It did happen. It does matter. And fortunately, another time when he was with a little child, Jesus told us how much it matters to God. Here it is. If anyone lays a stumbling block in the way of one of these little ones, those who believe in me, better for them to have a large millstone hung round their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. It matters to God. God is saying, don't you try to sort it out. Don't let it keep living rent-free inside you. Give it to me. Because the Father's heart is a heart of absolute justice. God loves justice. On judgment day, when you walk away, you, for whatever the situation is that's in your mind right now, in your heart right now, you will say, justice was done. God says, leave it to me. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. But you will also say, mercy was shown in exactly the right proportion. And only God is able to take justice and mercy and, and, and absolutely, brilliantly and perfectly apply them and act in that spirit. So you're surrendering to that, Father. We often mention, because she's the world authority on this, Corrie ten Boom, in a concentration camp for protecting Jews, sees her sister die. One of the cruelest guards uh, becomes a Christian, and she knows he's coming to her to say, God has forgiven me. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? And she thinks, I can't. I can't. And in that moment, God gives her a verse that puts all the broken pieces back together. The love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. At just the right time, when we were helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. And she said, I couldn't forgive him. But as I stepped in faith and obedience, the love of God was poured into my heart. And she said, you never know peace like you know when you take that step. And his love is poured into your heart. Do you know what? It's just as challenging to really accept that he has forgiven me. It was for me and for many of you. I know it's not for everybody, but for many. We can know, yes, we know intellectually Christ died for me. He became sin for me. He scooped up all that rubbish and took it into himself. And we know that I can't imagine that I have somehow created a sin so vast that even Jesus on the cross could not deal with it. But then church ends, talk to my friends, and you walk out through that door dragging the same ball and chain. I, my prayer has been all the while getting ready for this. Please don't, Lord, don't let us come in, enjoy a really great service, agree with the scripture and walk out the same. I want your chains broken. I want that yoke off you. And it begins when you say what Connie, what Corrie said. I can't. I can't. I can't get hold of the fact that God has forgiven me. Not deep in my gut where the spirit comes from. Rivers of living water. I can't forgive that person. I can choose to ask God 
to strengthen me to pour his life through me, but I can't do it in myself. In a very significant message for our church a couple of weeks back when Nick was talking about Isaiah, seeing the Lord high and lifted up, he, he reminded us that the proper response when we really encounter God is brokenness. We see our own brokenness. That's a fabulous place. So if you're sitting here this morning thinking, I can't forgive or I struggle, I can't do this really internalizing that I am forgiven. Why not this morning leap, or as the song said, his mercy is calling you. Run to life. Run to love. As our team come back, let me give you one more illustration of this. The song said, fall into grace. Fall into grace. John Payton, uh, on his work with people of the Pacific Islands, was trying to translate the New Testament into their language. But he couldn't find a word for faith. And one of his, uh, one of his friends came in, uh, one of the Pacific Islanders, and speaking in their language, he was very, very tired. He walked into Patton's room and there was a lovely armchair there and he just let himself literally fall into it. He didn't sit down, he fell back into this chair. And, and he said, this chair is so inviting, I'm just going to fall into it. And the Spirit said to John Payton, there's your word for faith. Fall. Totally relying on God. God, pour your Spirit through me to forgive. God, by your Holy Spirit, show me I am forgiven. Mike Miles does a wonderful job at our silent retreats, but he doesn't normally share. This last one I felt prompted to ask him to. And he said some great things, but then he used a quote that I want to leave with you this morning. It was a quote from St. Therese of Lisieux. He happened to find it up in New Norcia somewhere. She said this, What pleases God is the blind hope I have in his mercy. God loves it when you trust his mercy. Hey, can, can we, as you leave this morning, have a little pile or a big pile in this room of the stuff that was cluttering your life when you came in? You didn't have cellars in the temple, but you had stuff that's preventing the Father giving you all of the love that he wants to, passionately wants to. Let me lead you in prayer. Holy Spirit, I can't. I mean, I've tried to faithfully say what I believe you've given me to say, but it's just words until you breathe on them. And Holy Spirit, you can touch people's lives even independently of anything said or done, especially using the words of Scripture. Whatever the Spirit is prompting you to say to your Father now, say it. Don't sit in the boat reading books about walking on water, attending walking on water seminars. Get out of the boat. Step out of the boat. 
Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, you have the name which is above every name. Every demonic force bows to you. Every effort of the enemy is thwarted by you. You are light and you have made us light in you. Pray your light will flood your people in this room this morning. Those watching online, where they're sitting, Lord, flood them with your light and your love and let them fall into your mercy with blind trust, blind hope in it. But blind hope that is based on sight of Scripture and knowing that you are faithful who've promised and you will do it. As a way of kind of in the spirit, putting those chains and yokes and all that pain at the foot of the cross, our worship team is going to lead us in singing the most powerful name in the universe, the name of Jesus. I invite you to sing it as an act of prayer. this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.